This is the Youth Worker Collective Podcast. We have your back with everything from games, lessons, and coaching. YouthworkerCollective.com Welcome to Youth Worker Collective Podcast. I'm Jeremy Steele, and I'm here with some incredible youth ministry leaders. And uh, we're going to talk today a, a little bit about ministering with LGBTQ plus youth. And before we dive into that topic, we'll just go around and introduce ourselves. We'll start with you, Mr. Wilterning. Right on. My name is Chris Wilterning, and I'm the director of Young People's Ministries at Discipleship Ministries. I'm hanging out with you all from Nashville, Tennessee today. And Audra. I'm Audra Welch-Malvez. I'm on staff at Plymouth Park United Methodist in Irving, Texas. And Chris Lynch. Hey there, I'm uh, Chris Lynch. Uh, have the wonderful opportunity of serving the South Carolina Conference as the Director of Ministries with Young People. So we are just post the special called General Conference and recording this not very long, but we are after that. And my social media feed has just been inundated with all kinds of reactions to what what happened at the special called General Conference. But we've also gotten questions from teenagers who've also seen the kind of things posted. And it really brought me to this place where I said, it's time for us to really talk about this on the Youth Worker Collective podcast, how it is that we minister with LGBTQ plus youth. Chris Wilterdink, you did a great job uh, writing a piece for us really right after the special general conference. But, you know, my question for you, Chris, uh, is where do we start in this? Because I, I think for some youth workers, for some churches, they may have never really thought through it, right? Yeah, you know, the starting place is an interesting one because I, I think depending on the situation that you find yourself in, you're almost always either going to be proactive or reactive, mm -hmm. right? And and the starting place looks different for either of those things. If I was on the proactive side, one of the places that I would actually start is the things that my church publishes on its website or on its social media accounts or my youth ministry page. Who do I say is welcome at the church and how specific do I get? Right. Mm -hmm. I want to say something like 90 or 95 percent of churches probably have some tagline that's like, all are welcome here. We can't wait to see you. So, so, so. <laughs> and people don't realize that that may not necessarily be true until their feet are a little bit further in the door. So specifically in terms of being in ministry with folks that are on the sexuality or the gender spectrum, being really specific in the language that you choose to publish, being very intentional with your words about who is welcome. And if you are comfortable being able to say, yes, we openly welcome LGBTQ IA question mark, you know, continue the alphabet as long as you need to youth into our ministry. That is a tremendous first step to be able to say that this is a safe place for youth that are having gender identity questions or sexuality questions to be able to come. Hmm. Yeah. Audra, what about you? So Let's talk about the more reactive situation where you're in a youth group that's never had somebody that was out and you have a student that either comes out as part of your youth group or that joins your youth group that is out. How do you deal with that? How do you navigate that as a youth ministry in this reactive sense? I'm actually writing more about this and that should be on the website by the time this goes out. But the most important like 
thing is just taking this posture of grace that above all, no one is beyond the redeeming quality of God's grace. And no matter what stance you take, no matter where you lie on the theological spectrum, you know, that reaction should always be a reaction of love and of kindness and not one of condemnation. Jesus calls out this imbalance of power and Jesus calls out people to walk together and lifts up the lowly and the marginalized. And regardless of what you might believe about scripture, Jesus welcomes all people, right? Mm -hmm. You know, LGBTQ persons, poor persons, wealthy persons, you know, Jesus talks with all of them and teaches all of them and, and died for all of them. And so I think that reaction is to just say, I love you. God loves you. You have a place here and we're in this together. That's the most important thing to say. It's just, you're not alone and you are of value and you belong here. So Chris Lynch, seeing the vote at general conference really highlighted the fact that our church is deeply divided over this issue and how to express itself in our current world. It was like almost right down the middle, right? 53, 47 or something like that percentage wise. And that's also going to be reflected in our churches. Whenever the subject comes up, there's going to be people all over the spectrum as and, and as a youth leader, you're often stuck right there in the middle of that whirlwind of differing viewpoints and people with varying levels of passion around it. Chris Lynch, how do you deal with the divisiveness of this when we're walking through this as a youth ministry? Man, that's a good question. I think, first of all, let me flip it and say that I think the worst thing you do is avoid it. Right. And, and that's the worst thing you do is try just to act like it's, it doesn't exist. One of the things that just kept popping in my head, even a day or two after things had ended at General Conference, the Spirit kept telling me, and I kept hearing this idea of truth in love. You know how a Bible have headings at the beginning of a passage of Scripture? I, went to the, I think it's Ephesians 4.12. I went to the beginning of that section. In my Bible, the heading was unity in Christ. Speaking of truth in love is in that section where it also talks about being unified in Christ. I thought that was pretty ironic. And I think that's the thing for me is the biggest thing is regardless of what side you're on on this issue, you have a different understanding of what you see as truth. Uh, mm -hmm. If you're on a, you know, potentially. And so no matter how strongly you hold to that truth uh, and want to make that truth known, the way to communicate that and the best way to forward is to communicate that and share that truth, but share it in love. Mm -hmm. And that happens in my mind in, in, in the context of a relationship, building relationships with young people in your youth group so you can have those conversations because they're not easy conversations. Mm -hmm. um, but I think when you have those moments to have them, it's simply a matter of, you know, as Aldra said, Jesus is for all. And as a youth worker, our goal is not to create people who are straight or create people who are LGBTQ. Our goal is to create disciples. Right. Regardless of the way they identify in, in terms of their sexuality, ultimately it's about how do I help them grow in their faith with Jesus? Mm -hmm. And so those are two things that I think from a youth standpoint is always communicating the truth of love and always remember that our, our role as, as youth leaders is more about making disciples than it is about their sexuality. Not to say that's not important, but it's not the most important thing. Yeah. I travel around and do youth ministry seminars and speak at youth camps and stuff. This is a constant question that people have. How are you dealing with this? How are other churches dealing with this? And I've gathered a couple of things kind of along the way that I think are helpful. 
And I'd love to hear some tips that you've picked up in other places from churches either that you serve or that you know people who serve. And a couple of things that I think has been really helpful is, number one, I think it's really important to have a policy with your volunteers and your staff that you don't out students. Right. Uh, That's an important piece, because like if a student shares with a small group leader or a small group leader hears, you know, from their best friend that they confided in a best friend that they are gay or trans, uh, that we don't become the mechanism by which that comes out. Because that's that is their decision to make. It's their story to tell. And it's really important for them to be able to navigate that on their own. You know, the other kind of protection side of things is just to recognize with your church and with your youth ministry leadership that any sort of quote unquote therapeutic method that tries to get students to become not gay, there are correlations with that, but it's in no way correlated. None of those have ever been shown to be successful at that process. And in in fact, what is correlated is a higher incidence of suicide among the people who are involved in those programs. And so it's really important to not encourage that as far as kind of a protection side of things. What are some of those tips that you have heard from other youth workers that you've seen kind of policy things? There's a book called Four Views on Pastoring LGBTQ Teenagers, and it's put out by the youth cartel, Four Views on Pastoring LGBTQ Teenagers. And that book kind of walks through a lot of, not a how-to, but these are the different perspectives. And I find it to be very helpful in just kind of understanding where other people are coming from and understanding how to like have conversation. But as far as like tips and stuff go, like my biggest thing is like name the Imago Dei or the image of God that's in your students. Mm -hmm. And that's like across the board, right? Like you don't even have to do that specifically mentioning the word, you know, if, if, if it's taboo in your church to even talk about LGBTQ persons, you can just talk about the Imago Dei and how we're created with worth and value. Mm-hmm. And that that doesn't change. And nothing anyone says or does or any church decision can take that away because that's how we were created. I mean, our LGBTQ youth are at such a high risk of self-harm. Yes. That this is an important conversation, especially because this is national news right now. Right. And our young people are connected to that. They're not just watching silly videos on YouTube. Right. I think I would add that, well, first, Audra, that is a really great book and great resource to be able to read because it doesn't say that there's like one answer, right? They are, here are multiple perspectives and multiple contexts where Mm -hmm. the conversation is different. It's also a tremendous opportunity to be in uh, relationship with a family if there's a family that comes. Mm -hmm. If you have a youth that comes to you and has questions or comes to kind of out themselves as a gay person or somebody that is, you know, figuring out what their gender is or how it needs to be expressed. First, congratulations on having a really great relationship with a youth that trusts Mm -hmm. you enough to be able to share that. Right. And so practically speaking, it's important for you to honor them and that trust by being in gracious conversation with them and then, you know, discovering if they are looking for your support in being able to talk to their family as well, because there are times that a youth will go to a youth worker before they will go to their own family. There's also a lot of research that says that young people that are having these kind of questions intentionally seek out churches because they have heard and they understand that God is love. And so if they've got this thing inside them that they feel like is going to be this spiritual crisis, of course, they're going to go to 
a church. And it just, man, does it put a lot of weight and a lot of importance on the response that they get from a youth worker uh, or whoever they connect with. But being able to connect and, and support not only the youth, but also the parents, right? The mm-hmm. The parents in the family unit are also going to need folks to be able to talk with and process through things and maybe get connected to folks that have been on a similar journey in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think it's also imperative for youth leaders, uh, whether they're paid or not, to have a conversation with their church leadership, whether that is the senior pastor or if you have some other kind of smaller group leadership team to say, what are your expectations of me? in this sort of situation with these students. Because, you know, a lot of times nobody considers uh, laying those expectations out until somebody violates a sort of implied expectation. And sometimes having the expectation discussion can help not just clarify, but actually alter some people's expectations, right? So they might come in expecting you to be uh, one way and then you push back uh, against that and say, I'm not sure about that. And through conversation, you modify what is expected and how you minister to LGBTQIA youth. And that helps. It also helps because at some point when somebody says something, you say, well, I actually have talked to the pastor about this. And this is kind of how we've chosen to approach this issue in our group. I think the other thing that's important is just go ahead. I was going to jump in real quick on this policy thing before we leave. That is when I think policy, I think about almost rules of what to do. Right. You know, if A happens, then our response is B. If C happens, our response is D. I think maybe a better way to look at this idea of policy is not thinking about what will I do if and when a young person comes to me and, and, and shares with me they are LGBTQIA, but more a almost creating values around a policies of values that I'm going to be, when this happens, I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to, you know, whatever I share is going to be shared in love. You know, all of those sort of things for more of a how to respond versus a what the response should be. Right. You know, maybe more effective. Otherwise, I worry about some of these things we tend to, like the policy ourselves into a corner sometimes mm-hmm. in the church. But I think that's the issue is not, not policing yourself where you're in a corner and you can't be true to who you are or in that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I think that's important. And, and I think it's also important to understand how your church sees and interacts with the United Methodist Church's position on human sexuality. Some churches are party line churches, like this is what the Methodist church believes and we will teach no other and act in no other way. And then some churches are, are more sort of activist on one side or the other. So I think it's important to, to kind of understand that uh, to help guide how you deal with it. And, and those sort of guidelines are helpful. I think your caution about actual policy is spot on. I had lunch yesterday with a former student who was young in the youth ministry when I, before I left my position in youth ministry, going to the work with the conference um, who has now come out and we had lunch yesterday. We're talking about his kind of his reaction to what all had happened. And one of the things he said to me, he said, I had no idea. I mean, he's now a junior in college. And he said, I had no idea until this general conference that if I was going to marry my boyfriend, that I could not do that in the Methodist church. And I think that's the thing too, post general conferences, it's a a wonderful opportunity to kind of help our young people understand more about how our church functions. Mm -hmm. Because he didn't even understand exactly fully. He he went through confirmation, but he still didn't fully understand, you know, what that meant. And those rules, I guess, were in place. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the big question. Like, how much in detail do you go with all of that stuff? Moving out of the realm of policy, I think it's important to also spend some time with your volunteers, coaching them through this issue. Because, you know, depending on where you are in the country and, and their background, you, you have no idea what people know and what their understanding is of, of human sexuality. And, you know, you know, at the very basic level, you can't see sexuality. That's not something that you walk into a room and you instantly can tell where somebody feels like they're non-binary and, and someone else is gay and another one is straight. And so what are some of the pieces when you're talking to volunteers that you feel like are important things to help them understand and work through as people who are going to be ministering on behalf of the church. I'd love to jump in first on this one, if I can. The one piece that I think is really important for me, for any of the volunteers, and this would be across any issue, don't feel like you have to be the expert. Yes. Right? It's okay to say, you know what? I don't know. Let's figure that out together. And it's okay to not have answers. Jesus, you know, often answered his questions or questions that were posed to him with other questions. And so it's okay to not be the expert and to seek out help. You're not costing anybody either their social holiness or their personal holiness by getting connected with somebody else in the church as a resource and as support. Or I would even say, you know, folks outside the church, because there are plenty of organizations that exist to serve and help. And it does not affect the holiness of your church or of the youth that came to you or the volunteer or anybody by reaching out for support and not being the expert themselves. So that would be number one. And number two, you know, in terms of practical things, I think it goes back to having some kind of integrity. And I think that both Jeremy, Chris and Audra each brought this up, but having integrity and recognizing that Young people are made in God's image, that Imago Dei, that there's that value that's there, and that needs to supersede a whole lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I would say to jump in as well, I agree, particularly what Chris said about not being the expert, but even in that same vein, is when you are sharing your view with them, it's taking this approach of, this is my view, but you know what? I could be wrong. That <laughs> It's not that if I say it, it's the gospel truth, because there is so much that's unknown, you know. We're a week and a half or so after general conference, and we know what was decided, but we still don't know what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> Change is, I think, always saying, this is where I am, but I could be seeing this wrong, and, I, and I'm open to saying that I could be wrong. But I think, too, if I'm speaking to uh, volunteers, is I'm going to stress to them the importance of whatever you do, keep the dialogue going. That's the biggest thing. As you're sharing with them or trying to help them process is do it in a way that's going to keep the dialogue moving, not shut it down. Because even if you disagree with what they're doing or who they are, or you agree, either way, the, the worst thing we can do is, like Chris said earlier, I think it was Chris, maybe it was Aldra said earlier, they're going to come to the church looking for answers to this. And there's no formulaic answer. We can't just say, well, this is the answer. And so one thing we can do is approach this subject in a way that always keeps the relationship growing between me and that young person, but also keeps the conversation going. Yeah, did it what they said. <laughs> <laughs> For my volunteers, I would hope that if a student trusts them enough to come out to them, then there's already a unique relationship at play. Mm-hmm. And there's established trust. It takes a lot to come out to somebody, especially for our young people who are still trying to figure out, is this really who I am? And so I think it's important that trust is protected, but then is held as a sacred space. That's what I would stress to anyone who's in that spot. 
Audrey, I'm having one other thought too. One of them with these particular sets of conversations is it's really hard for the young person to be able to separate the questions of identity from the questions of behavior. Yes. Right? That anything where, you know, if they hear somebody from the church say, well, we think this is wrong, even if it is framed in the way that the church is saying, we don't approve of this behavior, the young people often will hear that as the church does not approve of me. And when they're asking identity questions, being able to talk about identity is just a huge, huge thing and helping get across that they are loved and they are cared for as an individual. And behavior wise, you know, there's things each of us do (laughs) that Mm -hmm. we could do better. And, you know, those that care about us would probably ask us to do in a different way. But we're able to separate those behavior and identity questions because they're not all so wrapped up like they are in these particular sets of sexuality and gender issues. Yeah, I think that's important because if you study developmental psychology, that's actually one of the main things that's happening at this stage in life is to trying to figure out who I am and how I work in the world. What is my role in the world? And so identity and, and role confusion is a huge part of this moment in time. And sexuality is part of that. But I think having this discussion move beyond sexuality is important too. Because that's part of who they are, but that's not all of who they are. And this might be their first step into really asking that question, who am I? And I think that when we back up to that place, the Bible has a lot to say about who we are, a lot more to say than just about our sexuality. And I think that's important to continue that discussion beyond the bounds of sexuality. I think it's also fair to be able to say that all people have a sexuality, right? right? It's okay to be able to address that because human sexuality, if we're using that language, is really a broad term. And sex and our sexual lives and how we express our gender is a part of everything that we do, whether we be straight or gay or side gender or any any of those other pieces. Yeah. One last thing that has occurred to me that I I realized I didn't say at the beginning, which is where I intended to say it. (laughs) Uh, But as youth workers, when a student comes to us, you know, Chris, you mentioned that they often seek out the church. And especially for those of us who our church calls us youth pastor, we have that kind of pastor moniker. When they come out to us, we are not just our, their youth pastor. Uh, having had that happen in several instances and kind of long-term relationships with LGBTQIA youth that are now adults, what they're doing in that moment is asking, what does God say about me? Uh-huh. Right, They're not just coming out to you in many ways. They feel like it kind of coming out to God, coming out to the church, coming out. I'm revealing this about myself. Now you speak on behalf of God to me. And so I think treating that with the reverence that it deserves is and just kind of acknowledging that is important when you sit across from a student at a coffee shop or in your office and experience that moment with them. Yeah. And maybe an interesting response to that might be, I'm so glad that you shared this. This isn't news to God. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like if if God was there in the knitting together of our beings, Uh God is glad that you're discovering who you are. Uh If you feel like you're coming out to God, I can understand that feeling. But God already knew and God already cared for you. Yeah. And I think it's just... They need somebody to tell them that God loves them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we carry that authority. And, it, you know, we have to be very, very 
careful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really appreciate you saying that. So uh, this is not a, a simple thing. This is not something that we can solve in a 20 minute podcast. So we've mentioned one resource from the youth cartel, the, the four views. Audra, Chris, do you have any other things that you'd like to mention, offer as things for youth workers to look at, explore in dealing with this? Well, you mentioned it earlier, but I would reaffirm the resource that Discipleship Ministries that Chris Wilkerdink put out immediately following. It's got a discussion guide there about general conference, which obviously we get into those same issues. And I think for me, that's the thing is the best resources can be having conversations about it. But yeah, both those two, I think, that we've already mentioned would be the two I would say we go to. Yeah, of course I have some. I'm just drawing a complete blank right now. <laughs> so whatever I do have, I will link to in the bottom of my article about this. That'll be on the Youth Worker Collective website. Right. There's a bunch of really great resources out there. One of one resource that I think is helpful, especially for people who are serving in more well, in terms of general conference, traditional churches that have a more historical view of this is a book called Redeeming Sex by Deborah Hirsch. She, she takes a, a very uh, historically orthodox view, you know, kind of keeping in line with how the church has interpreted this for a long time. But she is a different voice. Having been to general conference, I didn't hear anyone with her perspective on it. And I think it's a very helpful valuable perspective for those people who end up in a more traditional place as far as the scriptures and in the way that they view human sexuality to navigate what it is to have a loving and a graceful and a and an open posture in that so i kind of commend that to people who live in that world i would also say jeremy as you said that i was thinking that i would challenge folks to find resources that you, you may not agree with wholeheartedly uh-huh. I understand the mm-hmm. perspective. The beautiful thing like uh, about the Four Views book from the Youth Cartel mm-hmm. is those four different perspectives. And I think in understanding the other perspectives, it's probably more helpful to each individual than strengthening their own stance. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, helping us out with this, uh, navigating this together. Uh, this is one of those issues that really can feel like you're completely alone as a youth worker trying to figure out how do I minister and love these kids at the same time navigating this very divisive issue in the church. But when you get online to work, we don't want you to feel like you have to do it alone. So that's why we're here, Youth Worker Collective. You can find all kinds of resources, games and ideas, coaching like Audra's article and and Chris's resource on uh, LGBTQ youth at our website, youthworkercollective.com and more podcasts like this one at youthworkercollective.com slash podcast. (laughs) 